Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padamaro, and Hats on Lamps. It's episode 77. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, Hats is continuing to try to buy a house, so we have a returning guest on, Shab. Hello, Shab. Hey, Pao. Uh, thanks for having me back on. I really, even though I'm a returning guest, I, in some ways, I feel like the pressure is really on today because uh, they, the recent guests that you guys have had have really been excellent. So they've been setting the bar really high. Um, so feeling the pressure a little bit, but I'm excited to be here again. So thanks for having me. No, I, I feel like you'll be able to live up to this bar. And uh we have, um, I think, a great topic for that, which is we're going to review a few draft logs. This is a kind of a thing we like to do when the format changes, just kind of talk about some drafts. And it allows us to talk about a lot of cards, um, and I say this in quotes, quickly. Um, I think it's great for bringing up interesting discussion points and helping people sort of talk about helping us talk about cards in context. So it's a thing I love to do. So I'm excited to have you on to look at these drafts. Yeah, I I think it's always helpful to, at least for me, to listen to other people talk about their process. Um, And like, that's why I enjoy watching people stream and um, why I enjoy episodes like this. Um, Because even when you know what a person picked in a particular draft, um, hearing their thought processes usually going to be even like more valuable than than just knowing what they what they ended up taking so yeah so i'm excited about the topic yeah so uh well let's get right in to not that um so how was your draft week (laughs) i haven't drafted too much since like we've kind of come back from the wild wild west um yeah and since uh your exciting news right yeah so i haven't internal hasn't really been um i haven't had a ton of time to play lately so i've done like two drafts in the last two weeks um but all all good stuff so yeah so i haven't done yeah so i did two this morning i've been keeping up a little bit um well to talk about the wild west format a little bit um i share your I don't love playing a format when I'm not learning anything about it, like as a whole either kind of big picture. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just love diving into the new format. So even though you like, you really can't learn big things from, from the first week or two, like I I did dive in for some drafts and really enjoyed it and was hopeful or for like for the format. Um, But I haven't had a chance yet to see kind of how, what the format is like now that it's it's played out a little bit one of the big things that i'm curious to see and i've been looking at the seven win deck lists um to see if like this mono red menace or this like red based aggro is um just like one viable deck or if it's if it's the deck um so i have a lot of questions about the format certainly a lot more questions uh than answers right now um so my draft week uh I haven't had a ton of drafts, um, but I I am really enjoying the new format um, quite a bit. Yeah, it's uh, um, yeah the mono red fire deck is kind of interesting to me because 
you know, last week I mentioned on the show that I had a, a very successful mono red aggro deck, and we've had a bunch of seven win decks that are based decks, and so it's definitely doing well. But I don't, I have not seen it that much in the queues, which is a good thing because I don't know, it's so hard to build a deck. I don't know. Every time I build a deck, I'm like, well, this deck looks really good, but it loses to Corrosive Dagger. And it's yeah. really hard to build a deck that doesn't lose to Corrosive Dagger. So I am glad that I am not seeing Mono Red Fire everywhere, despite kind of what I talked about last week, where it really feels like it's open in every draft. Like, there are so few drafts that I've done where... I haven't ended it and been like, oh, I bet you I could have been a mono red fire deck in in this draft. Um, so I'm not really sure what's up with that. I think kind of also like what we talked about last week is it's it's like really tricky to figure out how you end up in that deck, which maybe makes it less of a scourge than it could be. I don't know. I don't know if that's kind of a, a weird way to say or <laughs> a weird theory, but I mean, I think that the fact that the the deck exists i mean like the conventional wisdom for a format is that it's usually good if there's an aggro deck to keep everyone in check so that everyone's just not doing the most insane thing they can do with their pool um i don't i'm hoping that like yeah there's a that mono red aggro or red aggro decks are well supported um i hope that i i don't see them everywhere um because when they really come together, you're right. Like the, it's really hard to build a deck that beats corrosive daggers. Like when your opponent builds and plays a good corrosive dagger ge- deck against you, like it's just really hard to win those games. Um, so I think it's good for the format that the that the red decks are out there, and how I build my decks will kind of depend on how prevalent the, um, like those those strategies are, those decks are. Because as somebody who tends more towards, you know, like Felon and Elysian, the slower decks, I, in order to play control effectively, I have to know what I'm playing against um, and what my opponent is likely to do. And um, so that's kind of what I'm keeping my eye on is, is those red, those red decks and seeing, um, and seeing if they dominate or an aggro just tends to be good early in a format. So um, I think everything's still shaking out a little bit. Well, yes. shaking out a lot, actually, because I think the format is really deep. And so I think it's going to take a lot of time before um, before we have a, a lot of answers. Yeah, I, I agree. I've been, yeah, as far as my draft week, I've I've been continuing to do pretty well um, in the format. Got another seven-win deck, a little less this week than I, than I had been playing. But I don't know. I keep winning and doing well, and... And feeling like my decks end up strong, and I know that's partially... I don't know. It's its kind of interesting. The, 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 the format has so many playables that as long as you even get close to the right lane, you're, you, you end up doing uh, pretty well. And um, yeah, so I, I've been in, enjoying myself and winning, which always helps. I love formats where you're not just like scraping for playables. Like, yes. When all the cards are good, 
you you have good cards, your opponent has good cards, you have to figure out other ways to win. So um I really enjoy enjoy formats like this. Um yeah, yeah, the other thing that I had been thinking is sometimes Eternal just has really weird signals that make no sense. And there'll be a couple picks in some of the drafts in some of the drafts we reviewed today that were like that. And I think it's nice when there's a lot of playables because it allows you, I don't know, it gives you more time to really figure out your lane when there's like three packs with nothing in your color and you're like, oh shoot, I'm totally wrong. And then you're like, oh, actually, no, that was just like eternal draft being eternal draft. And in fact both justice and primal are open even though there were no cards in those colors for three packs (laughs) you know what i mean i don't know i think it's actually kind of kind of kind of strange because i've um i've never done mtg bot drafts but like i i know kind of how they work and um what they can do to a format like i know there's a format um a few months ago and there was like a mill deck that was super easy to build and so it was just everywhere and it just dominated it was based on on the bot picks um so excuse me so because magic is set up in that way um you never kind of see these legendaries and rares go like super powerful things go really late because obviously they're they're rated really highly and I have no idea how those things happen in Eternal. Um, it really confuses me, to be honest. But but I think in in a weird way, it actually mimics human drafting a little bit better than than like those magic bot drafts because from anywhere from the, like your local game store to like you can actually just watch Pro Tour drafts and see really really weird things happen. Or like cards that you're like, this shouldn't be here six, and it just is. Um, so. I think sometimes we look at really strange packs and say, like, sometimes it's clear, like, yeah, the bots got this one wrong, or like, there's like a last pick wasteland broker. It's like, you know, something clearly is off here that needs to be remedied. But sometimes you see like a really great rare, like fifth pick or sixth pick, and you're like, oh, well, how would this ever happen in a real draft? But weird things happen in human drafts all the time. Um, so I don't understand how the, the seeding works. I really wish I did because I think it would make it a little bit easy, like a little bit less frustrating for me. Yeah. Um, because I just straight up have no idea how or why these things happen. And obviously, if people who are familiar with my writing know that like reading signals is one of the things that I try to do and I really enjoy. And reading signals is incredibly hard to do when I'm I'm seeing things that seemingly make no sense at all. Yeah. And, you know, and that's what's weird to me about Eternal is like, you know, after a certain point in time, you just have to assume, yeah, you have to assume that a human was drafting these packs. And yet you're just like, I don't, I don't understand what they could have been doing (laughs) for this to get to that point. But yeah, there are things that really I truly can't explain, like, you know, like Wasteland Broker going just super late. Like if you if they're seated by rarity, like that card goes, if they're seated just by like base powered toughness, that card has to go like I really don't get it. 
So I think that adds to, to my frustration a little bit and maybe a lot of people, I don't know. Uh, but that's why, kind of like you, I don't, well, I, I did play a ton a couple weeks ago because I really like the new format, but I won't play to try to learn anything about the format until a week or two has gone by. So yeah. like I played a bunch and then I haven't really played for a couple weeks because I, um, I don't really, like I get excited to play a new format because it's new, but I don't really want to start until I can start figuring things out about it. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I do think we're at that point um, where a lot of the, the wonkiness of the first week or two are sort of out of the system. Um, all right, so we'll go on to our Patreon plug at patreon.com slash farmingeternal, where for as little as a dollar a month, uh, you get to become a patron. You get access to recording bloopers, nudge us towards uh, Patreon goals, and... Um, Yes, and get your name read out loud. So our veteran patrons are Cotillion, Loki, Trickster, Sigma Tank, Mercurial Blue, Abid Nago, Meagles, Madness, Parmalee, Darth Herman Two, Twin Hex, Jed the Hamrid, Raven Dragon, Esrich Zero Two One Five, Sunblaze, Worked on Sun, and Yistout. Thank you very much for supporting the show and keeping it going every week. And then um, we'll move on to card of the week. So Shab, what is your card this week? So my card of the week is Rat Beast. Um, it's a shadow card. It costs three. It's a three-three, and when it enters the battlefield, you can sacrifice another creature to give it plus two, plus two. Um, so, like we were saying a little bit earlier, that there's just a lot of good cards um, in this format, and when that's the case, you have to look for cards that can kind of mess with the tempo a little bit, you know, that allow you to play off curve or allow you to do something just one, just a little bit more powerful than what your opponent is doing. And Ravenous Thornbeast is the kind of card that allows you to do that. Um, so playing like a three cost five, five is incredibly hard to deal with. And if your opponent can't deal with it, then you're uh, going to win that game most of the time. So when I, I wrote a piece in, about like my first dozen drafts and I talked about unique effects. Um, and I would say that having the ability to, to have a five, five on turn three is unique. You know, there's not like grave watch ancestor is great because it can become huge eventually, but there's not that many things, you know, prism golem can be a three power five, five, but there's just not that many things that do that. So ravenous thorn beast moves up in my, in my pick order. Um, because it allows you to do something super powerful on like a really important turn. So I also went to see if Fervent Siphoner was boosted because that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of small edge that I will, that I will look for is I was hoping Fervent Siphoner would be times 10 boosted, but it's not. Um, but Dark Wisp is and going something like Dark Wisp into Thorn Beast um, and making a five, five and not really going down a card is just a huge tempo swing um and even if you don't have a creature to sacrifice on turn three playing a three power three three like even in felon as a defensive feature is great playing it as a three three if you want to attack is acceptable um so i think that the floor on the thorn beast is just really low as a, a three power three three um but it's unique in that it um, it offers some some play patterns 
that are really, really hard for your opponent to deal with. Um, like sometimes it can even be correct to, you know, play an evangel on turn two and sacrifice it to the thorn beast to make it a five, five. Like sometimes even that is correct going down a card. Um, so when you can do that and actually get value out of it, either with something like fervent siphoner in the two drop slot or, um, or like dark wisp, um, that's kind of where you, when all the cards are good, where you have to start to find your, your edges, um, is in which, which of those cards can lead to sort of unique play patterns. And I think Ravenous Thornbeast um, is pretty unique in that sense. And really low floor um, as a 3-3 a three, three for 3. Yeah, I agree. Um, this is a card that's come up a lot for me recently because uh, Tyler Cheney, uh, previous guest, really, really loves this card. And I think is always itching to pick it. And and I guess I hadn't thought about it as highly in this format because I've, I've always felt like Ravenous Thorn Beast sort of excels in formats um, where either you have really, really good cards to be sacking, like you mentioned, uh, Fervent uh, Siphoner, or cards which, uh, if you don't, for those of you who don't, might not know it or don't remember is the um, two cost shadow card. It's a one, two and it has exalted and then it grows um, when you discard cards. Yeah. When people discard cards, yeah. Um, It gains attack for the turn when you discard a card. Um, So, you know, like doing that and getting an exalted weapon or when there are like dark return effects in the format, because this, because the Ravenous Thorn Beast, you know, keeps its plus two, plus two, so you can sort of keep growing it to like a seven, seven, nine, nine, or or whatever as you return it and then, um, you know, play it again and sack it again. Um, but I do think there are, especially in certain color combinations, you know, Justice is already looking to sack a lot of cards because you have uh, Siphoner Paladin, so there's a lot of actually good two drops sort of uh, value two drops that you can sack if you with with a siphoner paladin or a thorn beast and um, and then in stone scar you know now that grenadine drone is boosted that's a great option because you're sort of only losing half a card to grow your thorn beast you know to to a five five um, so I, I, I think looking at little synergies like that um, you know, has made me appreciate it even in in this format, even though um, I guess the way that Tyler talks about it is like gr- great card as compared to, I kind of think of it as just a 3-3 with upside. And I think it's, you guys are probably correct. It is better than that in in this current format. It It just has, it has a chance to, because it costs, because that has the chance to come down with three cost five five. It has the opportunity to kind of warp the game or have such a significant tempo advantage um, in a way that very few three drops have. Um, and so, especially at common, um, like even though there aren't as many ways to recur it. Um, 
I think that if you can find the way to like, yeah, the, the Greenwich Greenwich drone, I didn't even think of that. So it's great there. I would even like in film, if I'm running film control, um, cheerful shepherd is a little bit worse now because grizzly <clears throat> contest is a little bit worse, but like, I'm happy to go cheerful shepherd into ravenous thorn beast. And then say like, yeah, I'm, I'm the control deck, but here's my five, five deal with this. Um, so I think it goes well in control decks. It goes well, um, in aggro decks and, it has the opportunity to really exceed its power. Um, like, it, it, it's if you're you know if you're playing a stranger or an evangel and then sacrificing it to the thorn beast, you're, you're not doing it wrong. Like you're, it's still five five where the stats no matter what. Um, it's just that's not you're not seeing what the card can do when it's really good. Um, so again, I think low floor. And and pretty high ceiling, um, like especially and like even specific to this format, like there's a lot of permafrosts going around, so you might just sacrifice something that's already sitting there and useless. Um, maybe later in the game, like an extra um, Valley Clan Sage. Yeah, so I think that Thorn Beast just yeah goes in so many different decks. Um, at worst, it's a three cost three three, which is good. Um, and at best, it's something that you you force your opponent to have an answer, um, and if they don't, you win. And yeah. there's there just aren't that many cards like that, you know, that you can play on turn three and say answer this or die. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting. I think one of the problems I have with Thorn Beast and Siphoner Paladin is that yeah, I just have a lot of trouble stacking my two drop unless they're like specifically made to be sacked, and. You, you know, I don't know. Like, it, it's interesting because I do know there are people against me who will, for example, sack their chain whip bludgeoner to play a 3 3 weapon, you know, with their siphoner paladin on three. And that is like a really hard <laughs> play for me to make. It, you know what I mean? And uh, people do the same thing, like sack an evangel or, um, or a stranger for their thorn beast to make a five five and like sometimes that's a great play but those always feel so risky to me that i really have i know the value of my bludgeoner i don't i don't really know i don't want to put all the eggs in one basket sort of by by sacking all my units which is also kind of funny because i will sack literally anything to my kindling carver um, so I, I, don't, I don't know what it is about, about uh, Ravenous Thorn Beast and Siphoner Paladin where I have, where I, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm valuing the decisions more correctly, in which case I'm valuing things more correctly or not. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, I think um, when you asked, like when you asked Hats and Tyler, I always want to call him John. Um, I know, I agree. <laughs> about what what makes them top five drafters, um, and they both kind of went to draft and deck building. Um, you know, if you do something like sacrifice an Evangel to a Thorn Beast or um, a Bludgeoner to a Siphoner Paladin, like it's correct a lot of the time to do that, and there's nothing wrong with it. But you're not really generating a lot of value. 
Um, whereas if you know you play Cheerful Shepherd, you play a Grenadin drone, you play even like something bad like Talir's Favored and, and grab a Sigil and then have an O2, um, then the cost, like it's still a cost, but if you sacrifice it like a Dark Wisp, it's not really. And I think that people who like top five drafters, the ones who are quick to who to say like that's what what gives them an advantage. I think that you know the, the, these are games of small edges accumulated over time, and the top five, the top ten, the top twenty drafters find themselves with decks that more often can sacrifice things like Endervins or O ones. Um, so they kind of draft decks to, um, I guess, prioritize picks elsewhere is sometimes how it's done. But I would guess that the the ones who, the ones who, the drafters who find themselves consistently in the top twenty, find ways to sacrifice the just like sacrifice that chain whip bludgeoner sometimes, but do it less often. You know, have other things available because they've maximized their skill with deck building. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that was that was good. Um, all right, well, that this uh, kind of leads into our next card. So my card of the week here is Devour, which is the two shadow sacrifice a unit to draw two cards and gain two life, and it's a fast spell. And uh, this is um, sort of a, a another card, sort of like. Ravenous Thorn Beast that I think is tricky to play because, you know, you're, you're sacrificing a unit. It has its spots and stuff. But this is a card that I more or less never put in my decks. And the reason I picked it this week is because uh, someone mentioned a very good player on Discord. Cotillion uh, um, had it in one of their decks and they kind of called it a pet card. And uh, d- despite multiple people suggesting to cut it from their deck... <laughs> They did not. And um, <laughs> uh, then they, of course, went 7-0 with, with the card in their deck because they're a very good drafter. Um, but it kind of made me think about... I don't know. I just have trouble with this card envisioning when it's, like, when it's good or, like, why, what kind of deck would want it outside of very specific decks. Like, if your deck was full of Cheerful Shepherds, I could see playing a Devour. But just, like, in your average deck, your average Shadow deck, I feel like it does not want to Devour. And the the point I kind of made on Discord was... I guess Cotillion's point was he liked it as removal protection because you can kind of then you're not really sacrificing a unit uh, because the unit's going to die anyway. And therefore, you're just getting to draw two cards for two power, which is a pretty powerful, you know, which we would describe, you know, Wisdom of the Elders is you're spending three power to unconditionally draw two cards. And so this would be two power to draw two cards and gain two life. But for me, the conditionality of that and just how narrow and specific, like I would consider that a corner case where you have Devour in your hand, you have two power open, and then your opponent also has a removal spell. 
you have a unit that's good enough on your board for your opponent to want to remove. And then you like you get them by drawing two cards with devour. But for me, you're I don't know, your opponent still killed your your unit's still dead. And it was a valuable enough unit that your opponent wanted it to die. And like I don't I don't know. It's just like it's so it's hard for me to imagine like that being the reason to put a card in your deck. If that was I don't know if that was clear. <laughs> I I think that's a thing that Devour can do. I don't think that that's a reason to put it in your deck. Um so I think Cotillion's deck was a found deck. Um I don't usually play Devour in my Felm decks um, because I usually have other ways to draw cards. Like, I'm trying to play Wisdom of the Elders and Forbidden Research instead of Devour. Um, so if I'm relying on Devour to, for card draw, um, then something has gone wrong. Um, I tend not to, to play cards, to play a lot of reactive cards, yes. you know, to counter my removal spells or things like that. Um, I really love that this is one of Cotillion's pet cards. I think there's nothing wrong with playing your pet cards. Like, if you're aware, that's what you're doing. Especially if um, the difference in win percentage is small, you know, whether or not you put Devour in your Shadow decks or not. But um, <clears throat> So I don't usually run it in my Felm decks. Plus, um, if it's a Felm deck where I'm looking to sacrifice things like for Grizzly Contest, um, I, I already... I kind of want to save those things for Grizzly Contest. I don't want to load my deck up with um, cards that require me to sacrifice things, um, because then I find too often that I'm sacrificing things that I don't want to. But So I don't play it in Felm, um, but I do, like, I really liked having a copy of Devour in um, Arjunport in the previous format. And that's because... And I haven't played enough to know if I really like it in Argent Port in this format. I, I think I might, and here's why. It's <clears throat> so I don't play it in Felon because Felon already has card draw in Primal. Like that role is taken care of. But Argent Port decks tend to be very fair in that they draw like one card a turn. You know, that's not usually how they win games. They're winning with removal or straight power level. So they typically, your typical shadow deck is just not going to have a bunch of card draw um and also so devour fills a pretty unique role in that deck and also i found that sometimes what will happen in an argent port deck like especially in the last format maybe not so much this one but like you know you have a solemn clergy or um something that you act or the the one one that when it entombs you kill you know something you actively want to get off the board but your opponent just keeps taking one you know and and like there's something that you actually want to sacrifice. Um, so I really wanted a copy of Devour in my Argentport decks in the last format. I'm I haven't played Argentport in this one to know if I if I still do, but like those are the decks where I'm looking to play Devour, the ones where like it, that is a unique thing that Devour can do um in an Argentport deck because they don't have a ton of ways to draw cards. So if if you're devouring something like a copper hall, hall porter, you're just super far ahead. Um, 
So like that should be the plan should be to, you know, if you have things to, to where you can get value out of sacrificing them and then you can draw two cards um, and then doing something like sacrifice a creature after it's been permafrosted or after it's been targeted by removal. Like that's just a thing that you can do with it. Um, but if I'm putting devour in my deck, that's not why I'm doing it. So in Argentport, I think it fills a specific role um, because they don't have a ton of ways to draw cards. And then in Xenon, um, you know, if your plan is to uh, draw cards with Blur Hazeworm, I mean, it is, it's fantastic with Blur Hazeworm because you could just sacrifice the Blur Haze and um, you draw four cards at the end of turn and then a card, and then a card for turn. So you draw five. It's bonkers. Um, and also in Xenon, there's a decent chance that like, you know, you have some trail makers and, uh, and an apprentice mage, and then you have 10 power and you don't have much to do with it. You know, you can devour one of those away. So I like a copy of devour in my Argentport decks. There are times where I, I like it in my Zen index. Um, I don't typically run it in Feln, and I don't imagine I'd run it in too many stone scar decks. Um, so I think that it definitely has a place, but I don't view it as, like a counter for a removal spell, I view it as something that that does something unique in Argentport, um, and can serve a function in Xenon. Um, so, like, I I have no problem playing a copy of Devour um, in some decks, but I think that you you know you have to have a plan for it. You, your your plan can't just be to sacrifice something. Yeah. Um, well. Yeah. You. Yeah, I think the the Xenon, the multiple copy of Blur Haze Worm deck, I think, is maybe the most exciting of those examples to me. Because even the Argentport deck, not that I can't imagine an Argentport deck that wanted it, but there's just still so many, so many things that want to sacrifice in this format that I... I just feel like you have to be judicious with it. You know, like, like even in the Argentport deck, you have Siphon or Paladin and just Shadow now has in the draft packs, it has uh, your card, Ravenous Thorn Beast. There's Marsh Dragon. Um, then there's Grizzly Contest in set nine. And then there's Siphon, you know, you're you have four great cards already that want, fodder to sacrifice and there's just you're not going to be playing that that many value two drops to you, like, you know to, to satisfy to satisfy all all of this hunger <laughs> in your deck for for sacrifice yeah um yeah I, I i'm not saying that like devour goes in in all argent poor decks i do think that um like those cards you mentioned siphon or paladin yeah the thorn beast um all three that mentioned they don't they don't do what devour does so it's the uniqueness of it that um like i i value very highly and and i want to talk for a second about your kindling carver thing um that one reason why activating kindling carver could be correct like from a big game standpoint is that it draws you closer to your more impactful cards and that's something i tend to value pretty highly in limited mm -hmm. um and it, that, we're in uh, a format now where the power level is 
is high enough where um, games I think are less likely to be decided by a single card unless that card is Waystone Gate. Um, so, <laughs> but I do value like finding my best cards pretty highly. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think that that Devour is great. Like it's a it's a last card for me. Um, yeah, it's 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 okay. Um, I don't find myself playing. Like I haven't played a lot of Xenon decks, but I don't find myself planning to draw cards with Blur Haze Worms these days because um, Nahid's Distillation is back and uh, Vital Arcana is in there and Ancient Lore. Um, so time has a like a ton of card draw spells. So Blur Haze Worm and playing stuff on your opponent's turn is now like one option for right. how you draw cards. Yeah. No. I I can. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And I, I don't want to be too hard on the card because I definitely have played Devour, but it's like not a card I'm actively trying to figure out how to play in my deck. You know what I mean? It's a card that if it makes my deck, it sort of makes my deck, but I'm not like, I'm, uh, it's not a card where I'm like, this has to make my deck. <laughs> yeah. My guess is that, um, Cards that get that C play in constructed tend to be overvalued. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, if Bower is played in, I don't know what the names of, of decks are, but um, like Shrine with the Carved decks, giant. Um, like Devour looks fantastic in a constructed deck because it's made to. It has all these units. That, you know, it's designed to do that, and so it's just almost a free draw to. Um, and that because it's a constructed deck, your opponent usually is drawing into more gas. So when you get played against you and constructed, it's usually phenomenal um, yeah. because the whole deck is designed to make it that way. People have a probably, you know, just a subconscious bias towards cards that are are good in constructed. You know, when your opponent plays Devour against you and constructed, like that's ugh, that's that's a bad that's a bad turn for you. Yeah. Um, and for the record, I. For the record, I would play a Devour in my Shrine to Carve It draft deck. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever um, drafted a successful Shrine deck. Um, they're a nightmare to play against, but I don't, I don't know that I've ever done it. I'm glad that... Is it, is it even in the format right now? It's I not. It was I in don't... the last format. It was boosted. Currently, it's just at 1x. Okay, yeah, that's fine, because... I don't know how to draft that deck and I don't know how to play against it. So I am just never want to see that card. Yeah. I, I, I had it in a few decks in set in set eight when sort of menace or not menace. What was destruction was kind of going for that. Um, yeah. How did, how did you draft so many mysterious waystones and never, never get a shrine to carve it in there? I don't know. I guess I just never <laughs> saw that many shrines. I definitely saw a lot of like flame blade, flame bathe reformation. I would say is probably a pet card of mine. Um, I drafted that card a lot. I drafted mysterious waystone a lot. I don't, um, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't draft more shrine decks. Oh, that's um, weird. Cause I feel like shrine deck shrines would sometimes come late until it got like really popular in constructed. Anyway, so it was that, that's neither here nor. <laughs> oh, um, sorry. What? If I was drafting waystone decks, yeah, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I don't have a good answer for that one. <laughs> All right. Well, let's 
quickly run through our seven win run breakdown, which is our longstanding data collection project, where as um, as Shab mentioned previously, uh, people send in their seven win decks. You get to peruse them in Discord as well as in the spreadsheet that we make of all the decks. And uh, we give a shout out to everyone who has sent in a seven win deck this deck list this week. And as always, thank you to John Holio for entering all the lists. So this week, we got decks from A-Boss, Agent Dynamo, Beard Broken, Collector, Cotillion, Darth Herman 2, D-Dubs, FS Forward Sound, Gato Sujo, Gunner 116, Hats on Lamps, Ip Long No, Jandy, John Avon, Mancio 1982, Out on a Limb, Pachi, Patamaru, Shab, Tempest Dragon King, Titus and Blossom, Toucan, Twin Hacks, Vader, and ZS Jostrom 35. So thank you for sending in decks this week. So the uh, only thing I want to say is sort of continue to touch on um, the trends that we saw from last week that I mentioned. Um, Stonescar continues to be the top deck. Then there is Xenon and Elysian are next. Then actually Felm had a bunch of Felm decks this week. So Felm is number four. Um, as far as received deck lists. Um, interesting thing is of our 116 drafts, we've only gotten four Rakano decks so far. Well, yeah. The top four were Stone Scarf, um, Elysian, Feln. I missed Zenin. one. Zenin, okay. Interesting. And so Rakano has gone from being uh, the second most drafted deck to the, the second least drafted deck, um, only beating out Skycrag. So, uh, so I'm not sure what that means because, like we were talking about, you know, Fire does seem to be a very va viable deck, and, you know, Fire splash a couple good justice cards or fire splash a couple good primal cards seems like a, a viable way to to win a game um but maybe what's sort of happening is fire there's just so many playables fire hasn't really felt the need to splash around in the good fire decks and so um yeah, I don't know. So maybe, yeah, so I guess that's my thought is like maybe fire doesn't really need to splash around that much. So like fire-based Skycrag and fire-based Rakano decks aren't really needing to play those Justice and Primal cards. And then uh, what we also had a lot of in previous formats were Justice-based Rakano decks. Um, but like the fire cards just aren't that good on their own without... Uh, corrosive daggers really sort of I think boosting them and so maybe there's just like no reason to be strong justice with a little fire just because the fire cards aren't 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 really that good on their own um, kind of my running theory yeah I don't have a good like maybe Rakana was really good at the NLS format. Maybe people are just a little burnt out on it and trying out new things because like the 
the red cards are good and like finest hour is still in the format and wind conjuring is 10 times boosted and um it certainly looks to me like all of the pieces are there like yes. um justice still has really good cards fire still has really good cards so i would um you know we're yeah, still and, in a period and justice didn't have a big jump this week it's still our sort of our least represented color which is just sort of mind-blowing to me <laughs> yeah that's um I don't know. I'm not sure why that would be. Like I heard, I heard Tyler's confusion about it uh, a week or two ago. Um, I I kind of share share that confusion. Um, like I, I'm not here to say like, oh, I'm surprised that this color isn't isn't doing better. Um, like all the colors seem pretty pretty viable to me. Um, I'm surprised that it, justice has shift shifted that dramatically. Like maybe people are just <laughs> a little bit tired of drafting it um that feels like late the analysis but i don't i don't draft a lot of bracano so i I can't really say like what what about this format is leading to fewer bracano decks you know i'm not sure why that would be yeah i and i i feel like i'm i'm one of the people boosting up justice's numbers to the to the meager levels they are because i've been drafting a lot of justice decks so I've been having success with them, but uh, yeah. But uh, I guess that'll lead right, speaking of drafting justice decks, <laughs> that leads us to our main topic where we're going to review at least one to the maximum of two drafts here, depending on how long this takes. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, what we do is we try to do a draft. This is an audio form format, so obviously the listeners can't see all the cards, but we try to read out, um, especially the rares and uncommons, and then um, sort of describe the best cards in the pack and kind of talk about what we what we would take, what we took, and work through a draft that way. And we're not going to do every single pick. We're just going to highlight, um, sort of navigate the beginning of a draft, um, especially this early, we kind of like to do that. So we uh, will kind of do the first six to eight picks of the first pack and then a few picks from the next pack. So for our first draft, this is pack one, pick one. Uh, cards in contention, uh, le- our rare slot is a legendary and that's Shavka Stranger, which is a seven cost fire, fire, nine, six stranger. And it says you deal through, Three damage to an enemy anytime a stranger enters the battlefield. That includes itself. And then when Shavka's stranger attacks, gain plus one power for each unit uh, you have on the board. There's In the uncommon slots, uh, there's a wind conjuring, which is the three justice justice fast spell conjuring, which says ready a unit. It gets plus four, plus four, and endurance this turn, and decimate to invoke justice. There's a Cerso's Choice, which is the four Elysian. You gain an Aegis and plus six health, or deal two damage to every unit. Um, and then there's the commons are pretty weak. There's a there's a Shavka Evangel, a Linrai Evangel. There's a Platinum Kieran, um, but nothing super exciting in the common slot. 
So I think for this pick, um, it's really between, for me, Shavka's Stranger and Win Conjuring. Yeah, it's the same for me. A um, couple of quick things about Shavka Stranger. Um, <clears throat> I read this as 9-6. When it ETBs, it does 3. Um, and that any like additional Strangers that I might get are kind of a bonus or kind of gravy, but I'm not trying to put additional Strangers in my deck to, to trigger this multiple times. Um, so <clears throat> the... So I'm basically, when I take this, I'm thinking I'm going to get that, that one trigger out of it. And then the second line of text about the additional power is kind of uh, not meaningless, but typically once you're, you know, you're already at seven, you're not going to be doing too many more things with all that power in, yeah. in your limited games. So, so it's a seven. So it crushes the vanilla test as a, a seven power nine six, and when it ETBs, it does three. So it's a really, it's a really powerful card. It, it has a, you know, big impact on the game when it enters the battlefield, and I think it's important to to remember when we look at like these cards that cost seven or eight that yeah they should impact the game pretty significantly when you cast them um so shavka stranger as a as a nine six that etbs when it does three is fantastic and um i would be perfectly happy to first pick it if wind conjuring were not in this pack um so shavka stranger goes in you know every fire deck and wind conjuring goes in every justice deck um but i in that case will always just take the the cheaper card um you know especially because it's it's the one that that has invoke um and i particularly dislike taking <clears throat> um taking expensive cards early because then i if i'm trying to get to seven for shavka stranger i feel like i devalue all of the invoke cards that i might see or all of the decimate cards that i might see later um so wind conjuring is just a little bit more flexible um while it's the the stranger is really good as a nine six and the three damage when it etbs is really good um once it's attacking you know it's it can just be chump blocked um so it's definitely good and i would take it if not for the wind conjuring um but wind conjuring just goes into all of my justice decks and is pretty fantastic always and like permafrost being one of the big removal spells in the format the fact that it um, takes care of that, makes it even better. Yeah, I, I agree. I took the wind conjuring here. I think the my issue with Shavka Stranger is while it probably does make all your fire decks, there I think you really want to play it in Praxis. <laughs> you know, it like really wants to be in Praxis. You know, yeah. your mono fire deck we'll play it and I guess be happy with it. But I don't know. It just feels like it's too expensive for what some of the other decks, fire decks are sort of trying to do in this yeah. format. Um, while it, you really need to be in practice to be like, to feel confident that you're getting to seven and then playing this nine, six. And I feel like it's without any other strangers, 
it's not as good as hammer hands. Right. You, you know, you're you're doing three damage, which does impact the board, but it's not like it's clearing their biggest unit or anything. So right. I don't know. It, wind conjuring just makes every single justice deck. Right. And like one thing that I think newer players or greedier players um, sometimes don't don't realize or don't put enough stock in is that seven is just so much more than six in a game yes. limited like it's going to delay what turn you play that card on average like it's not one turn it's like three to four turns the difference between playing your six drop and your or a seven drop so um like the i feel so much more comfortable at this point in a draft taking a six drop as soon as it gets up to seven <laughs> i i'm so much more hesitant yeah um, because seven so much more than six but yeah it seems like it's not easy it's it's not hard at all to get to in in praxis um but you know if you're playing stone scar and you're at four power or five power like seven just seems of an eternity away exactly all right so then pick two cards in contempt uh the rare was taken out of this pack so there are three uncommons left oh there's a Skycrag Gwivark, which is the 5 Primal Primal 3-3 three, three with Flying and Killer. There is a Fur Hat, which is the 3 Justice, plus 1, plus 1. Draw a Justice Sigil from your deck. And there's a Seat of Impulse, which is the Praxis um, Seat. And then in the Commons, um, probably there in Fire, there's a Granite Acolyte. There's a Platinum Kirin, a Talir's Favored. In a Grodov's Evangel. Um, nothing really good in Shadow. And then in Justice, to follow up the Wind Conjuring, there's a Reinforced Baton. So the Justice cards, I think, in this pack aren't great. Um, for me, it's kind of between a Skycrack and a Granite Acolyte. And so I took the Skycrack Wivark. Yeah, that's kind of where I am too. Um... Wivark is the card that I like best. After that, um, personally, I'd probably lean towards Platinum Kieran. Um, there have been some jokes in the Discord lately about Combray. Do you think Combray is a trap, or is it just Combray <laughs> in Eternal Draft? No, I. You know, I, I made that joke. This is actually more true in the the previous iteration of this format, where I just felt like whenever my no matter what I did, I just always ended up in Combray. And and I think with how few playables there were, there just weren't enough good cards. Like, because Combray tends to just be like, I have all the best cards in the two best colors, and I therefore have a great deck. But when there were just weren't enough good cards, it's that sometimes didn't work out. And so then you just had you had a deck of all of Combray's fillers and none of their payoffs. And um, Right. Got it. So it's not just, it was just specific to that format. Yeah, so for me, it's the Wivark, um, and then probably Platinum Kieran second, and then the Granite Acolyte. Um, I'm not really looking at anything else in this pack. Like, Fur Hat was probably good in its original format, because I think it was a one renown. Um I'd be more inclined to take something like a seat if my first pick wasn't double justice and the Wivark weren't there. Um, but since the Wivark is there, that would that's what I would be taking. 
Yeah. Yeah, the other thing, the weird thing with Combray, I I have had, you know, a couple good Combray format or Combray decks in this format. But like a thing we noted last week, there still is not a lot of big payoffs for in in Combray. So I think it is it continues to be a deck that really requires uncommons or rares to close out games. So I think it can be a dangerous color pair in in that in that regard. I haven't seen enough of Cambrai in this new format to know if that if that still holds. Um, it definitely was the case in in the previous format that if you were going to draft a Cambrai deck, you had to you had to have a plan for how you were going to close the game. Like you couldn't just be like, yeah, I'm going to play these good cards and. You know, and then just win the game eventually. Like you kind of had to be like, yeah, I'm going to do this, and then play dive bomb or um, win with smogwing tinkers or uh, it, win conditions were a little hard to come by. Uh, that's I don't know if that's the case now. It it doesn't feel like it to me, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know. Well, like time doesn't even have belching behemoth anymore. Like <laughs> like it does. It has no big units in the draft packs. And Justice did pick up like a, a fourth tree elder, um, as far as like a boosted card that can like win a game on its own and is slightly expensive. But even Justice doesn't have that many that big of a top end or that many flyers in the draft packs. So I don't know. I, I think the cards are better, but it still has a similar problem. If you're just if you're thinking of it as a ramp color, I do think there are still like this go wide combray aggro deck that you can kind of make work because there are so many, so many little units um, that you can sort of go around people. But I don't know. It's an interesting color. I'm not saying it's bad. I, I did make a joke about it on, on Discord, but I, I definitely think it's a playable combination. You just need to go into it for the right reasons and those reasons you know you need uh, i still want to be confident i have the payoffs before i'm like excited that my deck is falling into the combray black hole before we get to pick three actually platinum kieran i think is a it's kind of it's a card that i have my eye on as kind of an indicator for the format um so the decks that like I really like building Elysian decks or Xenon decks, and I really like you know playing this on turn two, just getting in two free attacks, and then playing my um, Power Stone or whatever it is on turn four. But obviously, you can't get away with that if you're seeing a lot of fire decks. Um, like you can't just put a one-two in your deck and expect to do well if everything that you're facing is you know two twos or bigger. Um, so I love Platinum Kieran, and it's a card that I, like, my default is to draft it and play it quite a bit um, because I love the value that it can give me. But there are definitely formats where you can't really get away with playing Platinum Kieran, and I'm not sure exactly where this format is right now. Um, so, like, I have been playing it, and it's a card that that I really, really like. Um because I like the play patterns that it offers, but the play patterns are 
dirtily. So if you expect to face a lot of proactive decks, then um, Platinum Kieran goes down in a format like that. So I've got my eye on whether or not this is like a good Platinum Kieran format or a bad one. Yeah, I I guess the, the thing that I always have trouble with with Platinum Kieran is... I mean, it it, do, it does seem like a great value creature, but like when you're even at its best, you're still taking your turn four off. And I think especially in this format, um, like my sense of it is there's just so many playables and so many good cards that that's like quite can be quite a tempo hit to like try to find a spot to play this four cost do nothing relic and then if you're not playing it on turn four when you get it with your platinum kirin you know like what how useful is that relic anyway like how useful is that relic on turn six or seven um where you've hopefully hit a couple more power drops and then also with this format like we were just actually just like what we were talking about there's still not that many big payoffs. And so obviously if your deck has like two Omen Scar Worms, I'm like thinking a little bit more more highly of Platinum Kirin. But like uh, without those, and especially in pack one, um, where you're still not sure you're going to be getting them, I, I just have trouble valuing cards like Platinum Kirin. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I think that, you know, you're right. There, you certainly there. There are a lot of games where it can be. You know, you never find an opportunity to play that that four cost relic, um, which is kind of why it's almost like it says that it can't block. Like it, it can, but it blocks so few things that really you're not doing anything but attacking with it. Um, and so, like, it's probably worse in like Zen Index because they don't have anything really to ramp up to. Um, but I think it comes back to valuing cards that have a chance to like significantly alter play patterns. Um, so like one of the reasons that I advocate for you know like a boring approach is because a lot of times, you know, your opponents stumble on like just three power or four power or whatever. Um, you know, they miss their two drop. And there are games where like I really enjoy that decision of you know, I'm not under that much pressure. Like, am I going to play my three drop this turn or can, can I afford to play this four cost relic? Um, and then for the rest of the game or like for the next few turns, I have a significant tempo advantage because I can use seven power a turn, six power a turn while my opponent's using you know, four or five. Um, so I like, I like that it offers up those those play patterns and again like i'm more biased towards slower decks anyway decks that will want things like to ramp into some bigger spells so all of the the reasons why you dislike it i i think are true um that yeah so, sometimes it's it's really low impact um you don't do anything with the with the extra power that you get so i think you're correct about the negatives the are the correct evaluation of the of the card is like probably somewhere in between as, as it usually is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the thing that makes me 
sort of excited for Platinum Kirin is like a a card like Corn of Plenty, you know, where you're buffing up your Platinum Kirin to a 2-3. Now that's actually doing some actual damage to your opponent. Um, but for me, it's like it's like one of the tests where I'm always happy when my opponent plays a Platinum Kirin and then on turn four plays the Relic. And, yep. um, and I'm always like, whew, <laughs> that's all, when that that's happens, all they've done. Like when that happens, things are either going extremely well or extremely poorly because either they have nothing else to do. So they're playing it or they are getting ready to just spend so much power every turn. Yeah. Um, I want to say corpse bloom, even though that's, I don't even know if that's in the packs anymore, but that's kind of my default for like a big house to ramp into yes uh yes that it that it would be a good card to ramp into all right so now on to pick three so for those of you who've forgotten uh so far we have a skycrag wivark and a wind conjuring and then out of this pack a rare and a common were taken um the three uncommons that are left there's the display of vision um, which gives minus one, minus one to all enemies. Uh, you can play a, a power from your deck or destroy a relic. There's the display of instinct, which is the time, uh, the time, sorry, the fire time primal instinct, which uh, deals four damage to a unit. You can bounce one of your own units and gain its gain life equal to its health or negate an enemy spell. And then there's provoke the dragons, which is the two primal deal to damage your dragons go berserk. And then as far as good commons um, in justice, there's only a Roland's favor in primal. There's a Gale prowler. Um, and then other commons that stand out there is a char and then in shadow there's a marsh dragon and a ravenous thorn beast so for me uh the three cards that stood out that i was interested in was one uh provoke the dragons uh which is a primal card um and skycrag wivark is a dragon so that was kind of interesting um and then there's marsh dragon and ravenous thorn beast and then I ended up taking the Marsh Dragon here. So, uh, yeah, like provoke the dragons. I guess I didn't realize that the Wivark was that, that they work together. But um, provoke the dragons is fine. But there's almost no way for you to like, you know, get get extra value of it out of it. Like you're never killing anything that you're you're not killing a four or five drop with it. So for me, it's a it's between the marsh dragon and the thorn beast um and i i maybe i'm falling a little bit victim to to recency bias because like i saw that you picked the marsh dragon and i i don't think that it's incorrect um because it's it's a really good card and it certainly is unique um like the thorn beast is also unique but one thing that i noticed i i just kind of forced a found deck um when I, I first picked Fear Tracker, and I was really surprised by how quickly my five drop slot uh, filled up in Shadow. Like I had 
um because i had the fear tracker i first picked and then i had uh, murky tentaclesis at one point and then i had like two fear trackers and i was like i can't really plan to play false demise like um so the five drop slot in shadow um i found to be a little bit crowded but that's just one draft so i i think it marsh dragon you know in a month i look back at this and say yeah it's it's like obviously correct to take the marsh dragon um i think i probably would have taken the thorn beast um but i'm i'm not sure that's correct yeah i i'm honestly not super confident about this pick either and you know the the ways i justified marsh dragon to myself are kind of like a, a truism where i'm like well marsh dragon is more expensive but all of its abilities allow you to to stabilize in the late game so it's okay to take more expensive cards you know which is not you know which is i think not necessarily true because you can't you can't actually play infinite marsh dragons or infinite five drops but you know it does help you play slightly more five drops but it also takes up that five drop slot so um so i don't know i i i guess yeah i don't, I don't I, want to say I, i'm yeah, not really I'm sure it's the right pick to be honest i don't want to make both it sound very like powerful down, cards you know because there are other five drops um like i think it would be an easy choice if the thorn beast were not there um yeah but yeah marsh dragon I feel like it always plays so much better than I think that it's going like just earlier today. I lost a game <laughs> just like, yeah, if they had anything other than Marsh Dragon, like I win this game every time. But they played Marsh Dragon. And so now they gain seven life and they have this huge flying blocker. And um, so it is a super impactful. Uh, super impactful card. I just, the the front five drop slot is gets gets crowded pretty quickly. Yeah, so. no, I agree. And even all of the cards, you're like, well, no, it's a great card to false demise the Marsh Dragon. <laughs> but, but that's also another five drop. And actually, another great card to false demise is a Ravenous Thorn Beast. So, yeah. So it's hard to know. But I did take the Marsh Dragon. So we have a Skycrag Wivark, a Wind Conjuring, and a Marsh Dragon. Uh, pick four uh, cards in contention. Um, there is a rare, uh, uncommon, and a common taken out of this pack. And the two uncommons that are left are the Display of Tradition and the Island's Choice. The Island's Choice is the three Huru um, fast spell that says negate an enemy spell that costs four or more or kill an enemy attacking unit that has four attack or more. Um, and then in as far as the commons, the... Justice Commons, there's a Mithril Mace and a Finest Hour. In Primal, there's a Linrai Evangel, a Cobalt Acolyte, and a Spellstorm Stranger. And there's also a Seek Power. Um, so for me, this pack is between the Island's Choice, the Seek Power, and the Finest Hour. And I ended up taking the Island's Choice here. I think I would have gone Seek Power, then Finest, then Island's Choice. Um, I Island's Choice, it, I get the feeling I'm a little lower on it than the community. Um, like, I, I think it's a good card. I, I just don't think it's as good as, as everyone else does. I, 
but I, I don't have anything great to base that on. I just see people pick it way higher than I typically do. Um, yeah, it, it is quite boring, but I probably would take the seek power because at this point in the draft, I don't know what colors I'm going to be. Um, and I, I just like to leave myself open to being able to, to splash something really powerful if I get it later. Um, or like, I love seek power, even in two color decks, like, I just really highly prioritize uh, the fixing. So I probably would have gone with the Seek and then with the Finest just because it's easier to cast. Um, and then Island Choice probably would have been third for me because I don't draft a lot of Huru. So I don't like lean that that way particularly. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think this is also probably not correct, but one of the things that I think led me to sort of feel better about taking the island's choice here is that it really like all of the commons left are justice and primal and so it felt like kuru had a possibility of being open and i think i i want an island's choice in my huru deck you know it's i think it's good removal and it's removal that can really blow out an opponent sort of you know with since it's modal like that um i don't know <sighs> yeah i mean i i do think <sighs> seek power is probably the better discipline pick and i could i like i said i also see finest hour or even cobalt acolyte as being justifiable picks here um but either way i took the island's choice here i see them being justifiable i do think like uh, that seek power finest and island's choice are a tier above the cobalt like i think if you took the cobalt accolade over those three cards i think that would be quote unquote incorrect mm -hmm. i think that there's a, a gap between those yes yeah the one thing with uh, finest are i mean it's definitely better than barrel through but also already having a win conjuring uh, i have not been the type of person that can win with the all combat trick deck that some people seem to win with um so i do get nervous about playing too many combat tricks in my deck and i still pick them highly but i can understand one not wanting to have all the combat tricks yeah i don't tend to play a ton of tricks because i have a hard time finding that balance between units and spells and i just hate like sitting there with three <laughs> like combat tricks in my hand and no creature on board like that's i just find that to be miserable so i don't play a ton of tricks um but usually i think of like i want my tricks to be easy to conceal and i want them to save my creature if possible like yes. i don't i don't have tricks that say like plus three plus oh or things like that so finest hour is you know I, i'm not saying anything earth shattering <laughs> you know giant growth was good when it was printed it's good now um yes. and yeah so it's it's another just like boring but um pretty much always effective card all right and then into pick five cards in contention the rare is left and that is creation chant um and then there are no uncommons and so the commons in justice there's a reinforced baton which is the three justice justice two three relic weapon um in 
primal there are no straight primal cards and shadow the only shadow card is a scavenge um there are a few fire cards none of them great a recogulator and a thunderhoof warrior as well as a research assistant um, there's also a token of tradition which is the time uh time justice primal token and a begone and in this pack i took the token of tradition yeah, I think that's that's probably what I would have taken too. Um, in a format that's you know with fewer playables, um, I might be looking at the baton, but I think the baton is completely replaceable. Um, so at this point in the draft, I'm more likely to just take a token on like the off chance that I, you know, open something that I want to play later. Um, the baton has been pretty good at, against me in games so far, but. Again, probably just totally replaceable. So I, I, I probably would have gone with a token as well. I don't know of a reason why somebody might take the chant in this spot here instead of the token, but there, there could be an argument for it that I'm not aware of. Yeah, no, I, I, I like the token. I mean, yeah, Wind Conjuring still our best card. And we kind of took the Huru card last pack um, in this world. So so that's what I took. It, it gives us both of those cards. All right, so then pick six cards in contention. Um, there's three uncommons left. There's a Twinning Ritual, which is uh, the Elys it's two Elysian, and you create a and draw a copy of a card in your hand and give it plus one, plus one. There's the display of honor, which is the fire justice primal display that gives you plus four, plus four in lifesteal, uh, turns a unit into a two, one goat or draws two weapons from your void. And there's a privilege of rank. And then the only other card worth mentioning is a token of tradition. And uh, on in, this pack, I took the Display of Honor. Um, and I was kind of debating between that and just taking another token of tradition. Um, but I was kind of thinking that Display of Honor is strong enough and quite possibly playable if I keep continuing down the path that I'm going down, that it was worth taking a flyer over taking a second token of tradition, which is also sort of leaning into the path that I'm currently going down. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I had to look up what this display does because I don't have all those memorized. Um, but I think this is, if not the best, among the best. Um, I, I don't tend to take a lot of like uh, three faction cards, but I think that like this is one that's worth it you know if if we're already going down the the huru path that this is the kind of card because it has the the removal mode um that i probably you know would consider splashing for so while i, I don't pick them very often i'm not very interested in the second token so yes yeah and what i what i also like about display of honor in especially this format, is all three modes of this card feel very relevant because Justice is such a weapon-heavy um, weapon deck 
um, or color in this format. And so I really feel like there is a chance that you could get a lot of value out of the second mode of, you know, drawing maybe a boot of a weapon you boosted with your siphon or paladin and another weapon, or if you lost a unit that had a badge of honor on it, get the badge of honor back. And so, you know, all three modes of it feel like they could be relevant, which is, I think, pretty exciting for some of these displays, which usually only have one or two good modes. All right, yeah, so then uh, pick pick seven, cards in contention. There's another display of honor. There's a kindling carver. Uh, and then there, in the common slot, there's three justice cards. There's a reinforced baton, a town watchman, and a Roland's favor. And then there's also a blade crafter. And I managed to resist, and I took a second display of honor. You resisted the kindling carver? Yes. Yeah. I think, honestly, I think that the Kindling Carver um, would have been a defensible choice here. Like, I'm very intrigued by the fact that the Carver and the Blade Crafter are both still in this pack. I agree. Um, <laughs> well, I think that that this was like a, a real decision point that I don't splash very often, but like, if you're taking both of these displays then like for the rest of the draft i am prioritizing cards that allow me like fixing cards that allow me to play them without warping my power base too too much like that now would that has to be something that i focus on in the draft but if i were you know just still exploring the format like i could see taking the kindling carver here and and seeing where it goes because you could always just splash the one display instead of the two um and i have seen you know, really good corrosive dagger decks in this format, which would be great kindling carver decks. So um, I could see taking it. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm at the point right now where if I'm if I take the second display, it it kind of goes from something I'm not like hoping to do. It's something that now I'm it's it's something I'm planning to do now if I'm taking a second one. Um, and it also then fills up our three drop slot like a wind conjuring and two displays. Um, like we're pretty set on, um, on cards like that, you know, so I could yeah. see taking, I, I agree. I think it's this felt like a, an interesting pick. There's like the super safe thing of a, a, ref, a reinforced baton or a town watchman, which are not great cards. They're like, quote unquote, in our color of sorts, but I think they're both below replacement cards for me, which is why you think yeah, I, I mean, I think the Reinforced Baton is sort of the most defensible, but I feel like my deck did not get there if I have a Town Watchman in it. Yeah, it's um, it's below rate. Like, it's it's not what you want to be doing. Like, if, if I have a Town Watchman in my deck, it's because I'm planning to do some big things. Like, it's Town Watchman is not my top end. You know, it is blocking yes. forever. I mean, to uh, play Omen Scarworm or do something like that. So it's um, it's not something I'm looking to play, um, especially in a format so deep with playables. Yeah, and I, I think this is an interesting point. We kind of talked about this offline. This is, I think there's a difference between below replacement and unplayable. I, I'm, of course, not saying Town Watchman is unplayable. I'm just saying... 
that there are so many good cards in this format that you probably have a bad deck if it has a town watchman in it because there are just so many better cards in justice that you could be playing over this yeah um, and so especially in pack one those aren't the type of cards that i want to be picking i don't want to be picking a justice card because i'm in justice but then picking a card that i'm like i'm only playing this if justice is not open that's like not where i need to be in pack one and um so for me like the real choice was the display or display of honor in the kindling carver and the kindling carver i felt like would be shifting my thinking into sort of betting on the fact that fire is now one of my main colors and like i'm I'm reading these signals as fire being open while the display of honor feels like, okay, I'm still feeling good about justice and primal being open. Like display of honor still felt to me like I'm playing Huru and I'm splashing fire. And I felt like there have been a lot of justice cards and a lot of primal cards and we haven't necessarily taken them in every pick. Um, but still feeling pretty confident that at least one of those two colors are open. Um, while Kindling Carver felt like, uh, now I'm going all in on fire. And so that's why I ended up taking the Display of Honor, or at least that was my thinking for Display of Honor. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. And, and I'm um, certainly not advocating for taking the Town Watchman here. I just think that... Um, it's kind of like Justice's version of the Direwood Rampager. Like, yeah, you don't want to put it in your deck, but sometimes you just need to recognize when it's like, it, it's fine. It's boring. It, it's fine. Yeah, you, you should not be taking it here. Um, people should not be looking to play it. But you, you don't have to be embarrassed if you play a Town Watchman or whatever, whatever it's called. Yes. All right. And then um, this is pick eight. Uh, this is kind of an interesting pick for me. Um, the uncommon that's left is the Seed of Order, which is the Huru Seat, which is depleted unless you have a sigil in hand. And then there is a Finest Hour and a Minotaur Grunt. Um, and then in Fire, there's a Pyre Adept, and then there's an Amber Waste Stone. And uh, this was kind of an interesting pick because I honestly was really torn between all three of these Justice cards. I didn't know... <laughs> between the Seed of Order, Minotaur Grunt, and the Finest Hour. Um, you know, I think the Finest Hour is probably the strongest card. We had talked about it way up above, about maybe even taking it over Island's Choice. Um, but, so it's obviously a strong card, and this is really late for it. But currently, we have hardly any <laughs> units. Um, really, if we're Huru, our only unit is a Skycrag Wivark. Uh, so, you know, the Minotaur Grunt, while not a great card, is a two drop, uh, is a playable two drop. And then the Seed of Order was kind of interesting to me because now that we have two displays of honor, I kind of want all the fixing I can get just to make it more likely for me to be able to easily splash fire. Um, yeah, I, I think that because there are so many playables in this format that um like i think your head is in the right place with um 
that we do need we, we certainly need units and two drops um but there are so many justice two drops there's so many two drops available that um at this point in the draft i i would have taken the seat um i really like finest hour but like i said because we now have the two displays um i'm really highly prioritizing the fixing that would allow me to play them so in my mind like i would take the seat and now say like okay i have a seat and i can put one fire sigil in my deck uh, i think the, the finest is I, I incorrect is not the right word um like i'm not sure which one of the two is is, is you know quote unquote correct that's not a, a great way to think about things um but my preference would be to to take the seat because now I'm, I'm trying really hard to um to play those displays um yeah as easily as i can yeah i the way i would describe it for myself is i i took the finest hour and wished i was the type of person that would have taken the seat <laughs> <laughs> Uh, maybe slowly becoming more more like that person because um, that feels like the more correct disciplined card and it feels like the only reason you take finest hour is because it's quote unquote the best card but with already having two displays of honor and a wind conjuring it's we, we've got that buffing our units you know sort of slot in our deck covered we don't need a finest hour um and you know what we really need now are playable units or ways to play our display you know or play our cards um so i i think i took the finest hour just because it was quote unquote the best card but not necessarily the best card for this deck and the situation all right and then i just wanted to touch on this pick um these last two picks really quickly. Uh, this is pick nine and cards in contention. There was a Zoltan Arbalist, which is the four justice, justice one, four relic weapon with war cry and then gain two attack uh, or summon gain to attack this turn and fate. You gain one armor. And then there's also a uh, master cartographer and I took the Zoltan Arbalist, but it was kind of a similar decision to the above pick where while Zoltan Arbalist, I think, is the better card, we just really need some units in this deck eventually. So there's also a Talon of Nostrix in this um, in this pack, which is the 2-Justice, two 2-2 two, two Relic Weapon, which uh, it sounds like Shab is maybe interested in here. I think of it kind of like a two drop. Like I'm putting two drops in my deck um, to trade with other two drops. Really, um, I'm putting them in my deck so I don't lose the developing stage. And Talon and Ostrich trades with two drops really effectively. So given that we or trades with most two drops really effectively, um, I also don't particularly like um, fate cards like. Um, that especially the more expensive they are like if i know my opponent has this in their hand like if i have the luxury to play around it i will um especially like if i have a finest hour or something and i know my opponent has this in their hand i know i'm just gonna blow them out as soon as they play it um so i think i probably would have taken 
the Talon just because we don't have any two drops yet. Um, but I also could see the Cartographer because it's a two drop that trades with other, other two drops and helps me find my best cards, which, um, which I prioritize. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I really like Cartographer because of that, just the fact that it helps you get to your best cards. It, yeah, funnily enough, I did take the Zoltan Arbalist um, as uh, another expensive card to put in my deck. Um, I kind of, I, I think I like the Arbalist a little bit better than you. I, I do know it does have the downside of having fate, therefore your opponent gets a C when you draw it. But the fact that you get to usually kill a three-cost, or not a three-cost, but, like, I don't know, one of their three three flyers or whatever on that first turn you play it, um, it comes down a turn a turn earlier than the, um, the five-cost three-four weapon, which is it's sort of it's most similar to. I don't know. I've always kind of liked the card. Gives you Warcry. Um, oh. and it goes well with my two display of honors, which is kind of what pushed me over the edge as being in my mind, it was good enough. It was better enough than cartographer to sort of take it this turn. And then I was like, from now on, I'm just going to be disciplined and take all the units it was kind of like <laughs> what I said to myself when I took this card. I hadn't thought about the, um, the display thing um because getting back an artist like is is a lot more impactful than getting back than getting back a talon um Arbalist feels like one of those cards that is always so good against me and, and it never seems to to do as well as i want when i draft it you know it's just one of those weird cards that seems to always my opponent kills two of my creatures you know my three drop and then something else impactful and then their two war cry triggers hit something something else impactful like it always seems like it's so good against me um obviously it's not all of that stuff averages out in the end um so yeah i'm not sh i'm not sure that my evaluation of that card is um is correct i'm really not yeah and then to prove my point, in the next pick, I did take a Master Cartographer over a Mithril Mace. Yep, um, which agreed. Yeah. All right. And then so, and then to end out that pack, there was nothing really in the last two picks, just a Wanted poster in Island's favor. So to summarize what we got out of pack one, um, I'm just going to talk about the Hulu cards because that's where I'm kind of leaning. That's what most of my cards were. Uh, we did have the Marsh Dragon, but right now we have a Master Cartographer, a Skycrag Wivark, a Wanted Poster, a Zoltan Arbalist, Finest Hour, two Display of Honors, an Island's Choice, and a Wind Conjuring, as well as a Token of Tradition. And so that's what we're going into Pack 2 with. And we'll do a couple picks from Pack 2 to sort of round out this draft overview. So in uh, Pack 2, Pick 1, Cards of Contention. Um, our rare is Master Conjurer, which is the three time time one five uh, mage uh, that wants you to have primal, and then you get a lot of things when uh, you get units if you play two spells in a turn. Uh, there's a bubble shield, 
There's a bring to justice and the time etchings in our uncommons. And the bring to justice is the zero justice, 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 silence and stun a unit. And if you have an Aegis, use silence and kill it. And then bubble shield is the one justice, justice, uh, fast spell that gives you gives your unit an Aegis. And for primal, primal, you gain an Aegis. In the common slot, uh, the only justice common is Siphon or Paladin. And then in Primal, there's a Shifting Illusion, a Reflection, and a Natural Order. Um, and then in Shadow, there's a Silver Bayed Reaper. And there's Corrosive Dagger and Eager Deputy in Fire. So with this pick, I took the Siphon or Paladin. Yep, I think it's that's a pretty clear pick. Um, Bring to Justice probably is better than I give it credit for. I pretty much never play it, but um, Siphon or Paladin, is, Paladin, I think, is the only only real choice um, in this pack. Yeah, I've been so wrecked by Bring to Justice by people, but I cannot imagine playing that in most of my decks. Um, but yeah. yeah. All right, Cast and then... Uh, Pick two, uh, the rare was taken out of it, and for the uncommons left, there is a Shadow Etchings, a Frostbite Elemental, and a Dune Diver. None of those really interest us in our current deck. And then the common slot, in Justice, there's a Chain Whip Bludgeoner. In Primal, there's a Primal Symbol and a Valley Clan Sage. And then in Time, there's a Disappear and a Blurred Haze Worm. Uh, and out of this pack, I continued on the justice train and just took the chain with bludgeoner. Yeah, I would have done the same. Um, I could see, I mean, I guess I could see an argument for the, um, the elemental if, you know, if you think you're going Huru or the Valley Clan Sage, but I think bludgeoner is the pretty clear pick as well. Yeah, I'm not that excited. Frostbite Elemental, I think I would have needed to already have some stun effects to be excited about Frostbite Elemental. Yeah, All right, then pick three, cards in contention. Um, in the uncommons, there uh, so two commons have been taken out of this pack. And then in the uncommons, there is a Trickshot Ruffian, which is the one justice, one, two, summon... Uh, give a unit plus attack and plus, plus health equal to your justice influence. There's an Ancient Serpent, which is the 6 Primal, 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 3-4 Flyer. Summon, draw a spell from your Void. It gets Void Bound. And then I think it's really between those two cards. There's no Justice Common, and then the Primal Commons aren't as good as Ancient Serpent. I could see um, some builds... Like some Huru builds where the the ruffian is correct, you know, especially if your plan is to, you know, you have a few auric officials, um, or valiant leaps. Like if you're planning to just kill your opponent with, you know, one shot them or two shot them in the air, something like that. I could see taking the ruffian, but with this build, like looking the way it is now, especially with such powerful spells, um, I'm definitely taking the ancient serpent and planning to play like a little bit of a longer game I mean, yeah it's kind of it's kind of interesting because i feel like this is this the cards we have can be looked at in both ways almost like you have the same pool and you're like oh 
this is totally an ancient serpent deck. I have all of these great, powerful spells that I want to get back with ancient serpent, play a longer game with it. But then you can like, you squint a little bit and you're like, oh, right now all my deck is is pump spells. And so maybe I'm just like an aggressive justice deck that's sort of splashing, like lightly splashing for the primal and fire for the display of honor. But really I'm just like a main justice that's just trying to get in there with like chain whip bludgeoners. And then I blow people out with my display of honors and my trick shot ruffians and stuff. Um, I did take the ancient serpent. So because I mean, who can resist an ancient serpent, but like, I, I, Not me. I really can imagine this deck is wanting a trick shot ruffian in the end, more than an ancient serpent, especially considering while we do have primal cards and we have a fair number of primal cards, justice is definitely like was the open color in pack one, I would say. Next pick, uh, cards in contention. Um, the three uncommons are left. There's a backbreaker, a huru vow, and a fire etchings. And then in the common slot in primal, there's a valley clan sage. And in justice, there's a noble protector and a badge of honor as well as the Beseech the Throne and some time cards. And so I took the Huru Vow here. Yeah, I could also see taking the the Valley Clan Sage now that I'm in, like, make the game go a little bit longer, cast my Ancient Serpent mode. So yeah, I, those are the, the two that I'd be considering. Yes. Yeah, and I felt I like the, the Huru Vow was just, yeah, one of those, like, kick the can down the road picks that yep. was happy in your deck. And I, I will say, I still am not f- feeling... I, like, I'll definitely play a Valley Clan Sage in this deck, but that's not where my mind... Where I want to go just yet, I think. Yep. As far as my drafting process was. Do you know what everyone attacks into? Because they don't expect you to have combat tricks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is true. Like, that is true. Um, it's a different deck, but like Infuse Strike in Feln is basically like a two mana, like a two power removal spell. Because when you play Feln, you play these O5s and you play Triple Shepherds, and everyone just attacks into you all day and they expect you to just block. And so then you play a combat trick and nobody expects it. But um, <clears throat> anyway, sorry, just talking about Feln. No, no, I, I, I can see that. Um, these next couple picks aren't super interesting. Um, in this next pick, I got there. The only justice card was a badge of honor. The only primal card was a frostbite elemental. There were a couple good fire cards, and time looked to be pretty open. And there's actually a couple good shadow cards. There's really good cards in every color, but primal and justice. So I, but I took the badge of honor out of this pack. I tend not to play badge. Um, like it's, I know why people play it and I see it played against me and I see its effectiveness. It may just be like just my deeply ingrained bias against like attachments or enchantments in magic. Um, that like setting myself up to get two for one. Um, I don't know. Badge of honor usually doesn't, clear that bar for me but one thing that i do really like about it is that you can play it just as like a defensive attachment 
Um, and then obviously if you're attacking with it, you're probably getting surge triggers. Um, so I think it's on the better end of attachments, though it's not one that I I tend I tend to, to stay away from from cards like that. Yeah, I I think Badge of Honor is like one of the biggest overperformers in this set. I mean, for one, you're sort of talking about playing, you know, with such good cards, like playing on a different axis. And like Chain Whip Bludgeoner into Badge of Honor is one of those sort of like playing a Ravenous Thorn Beast can just be an unbeatable combination. And the nice thing about Badge of Honor is it just helps you play Smogwing Tinker, which is also one of the best cards you can be playing. Um, I so for and like you said, it can be a defensive trick. It can, I don't know, it it can boost. It just does so much. I the the fact it's just like the perfect weapon <laughs> in my mind. Sort yeah, of, it's it, just like I almost never play it, and that that probably can't be correct. Yeah, like, <laughs> like I I've got to be too low on on it um yeah so i I think that's probably i'm just just too low on it yeah and so this is actually but i i did take the badge of honor but this pack made me very nervous because like i said there's there's only a frostbite elemental and then there's a flameheart patroller and a slag fury berserker in fire in just or in shadow, there's a grizzly contest and a Rollins enforcer, um, and then there's a silent hysteria um, in time and a worldly cleric, which is whatever. So it was like, wow, is every color but my two colors open right now? Um, especially the grizzly contest was kind of giving me pause. Uh, well, grizzly contest has gone, has lost a ton of value with this with this setup date um because grizzly contest has gone from like one of the best removal spells that you can get to like plan c in your shadow decks because the shadow removal is back to being boosted um so like i still really like grizzly contest and i'm still playing it in felon but i also could just have annihilate and defile um and cards like that so Grizzly Contest is still a card that I really like, um, but where I used to view it as like premium removal because it was one of the only cards that like had this effect, um, I do value it pretty significantly less now than I did in the previous format. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. I w- won't. I will say I have not necessarily lowered my view on it just yet. But um, I I do hear what you're saying. So what would you have taken out of this pack? Um, like it's odd for me to say that right after right after saying that that I don't love Frostbite Elemental and I almost never play it. Like it probably is what I would take here. Um, one of the reasons is you know because it's also. It, it's also active if your opponent's done something, but a card that I really, really like and um, and value very highly is is Auric Official. So 
like I'm not playing to play to 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 play badge, so I probably wouldn't have taken that. The grizzly contest, I'm not planning to play. Um, I'm not moving into fire for the pet. Like, there's almost nothing here that I would play, so I probably would have just taken the chance on the frostbite elemental. Um, because I can see builds where like that card is good. I'm just not gonna make it good by putting things like frost in my deck. So that's probably what I would have taken, but I I don't I wouldn't feel good about it and I, I probably would cut Frostbite Elemental. Honestly. So Yeah. Yeah, no, I feel good about taking Badge of Honor over Frostbite Elemental in this pack, so it's interesting yeah, that he's Badge of Honor gets significantly better the more chain whip bludgeoners you have because it, you know, it also mitigates that risk because of the Aegis. Um, so if I have something like three chain whip bludgeoners, then I, then that's when I start looking at badge of honor as a card that I really want. Yeah. With three chain whip bludgeoners, I would play two badge of honors in my deck. Um, like I kind of have to be like a surge centric deck. Like I'm much more interested in what you said about, like, it allows you to play smogwing tinker on curve. Um, like that's something I'm very interested in because just being able to play that on six instead of having to wait till like turn nine or something is um, so much more impactful. Yes. No, I, no, I agree. I mean, that's what I, that's what I like about badge of honor is, and the fact that it helps you play Smogwing tinker, but it's not like you need to attack every single turn to be able to play Smogwing tinker. Cause usually you'll, you'll have naturally gotten like two or three uh, justice right. influence. And so, you know, with one or two attacks with something wearing badge of honor, you get enough. You get your four influence for Smogwing Tinker, and then it can just sit back with its three extra health to be able to, um, you know, to keep you alive until you can play your Tinkers. It's just a very yeah. versatile card in my mind. Yeah, and I think that it's the versatility. The you know making something into a really effective blocker. Um, is is why you know I'm kind of coming around on it, um, because there just aren't that many. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I do kind of like. It's like it has two different modes, even though like there's nothing different about it. I do like that it can be used um, so defensively to, yes. to kind of buy you that time. All right, and then continuing the trend of th this previous pack. Uh, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, pick six cards in contention. Um, the only justice card is Enter the Monastery. The only primal card is Steam Blast, which is the two primal primal uh, deal damage equal to the number of units. And then if you have four fire, you also deal that damage to face. Then in time, there's a Feral Mandrake, a Hunting Allosaur, and a Forget. Shadow, there's just a Mandrake Shambler, and then there's also a Grizzled Quick Shot in Fire. So here I took the Enter the Monastery, um, which is not a great card, nor a great nor a card I'd be super happy to play in this deck. Yeah, I wasn't quite ready to give up on Justice yet, and and moving. I don't know, <laughs> and move into time, which would have felt like, 
I mean, it's not actually too late, but is feeling kind of late to to make that big of a jump. Oh, I I would have taken Steam Blast. Um, like, even though we don't have that many units right now, like the deck inevitably is going to have units. Um, and effects like this that that count the number of your units on the board, like effects like that when they start to cost four or five are can be pretty terrible because the floor on them is so low. Um, but with Steam Blast, in order to get, you know, two power worth of value out of it, you only really need like two units on the board. So I'd probably take it here. I look at it as like, it's almost like provoke the dragons with, with upside. Like I don't view it as a, like a premium or removal spell though. Some like sometimes it is, you know, when you just have this crazy wide board. Um, but I usually look at it as something that I, like the plan is to, you know, kill a two or a three drop with it. And, or at least that's the role that it fills in my deck. Like if you're putting this in your deck, it's like, oh, this is my removal spell. Like that's, you're going to be disappointed most of the time. Um, but if you view it as a card that costs two power, you're usually going to kill another card that costs two power. Um, and then its ceiling is significantly higher. So I probably would have, I would have steam blast, even though I do enter the very significantly better than I originally gave it credit for. And it, it is a card that, that I like quite turning one resource into two is always good. Yeah. And I guess that's the thing with enter the monastery is even when you don't have time, justice just really likes having more power and more justice sigils. Like we were talking about with badge of honor, you know, we really do want to get to for justice if we do get some smuggling tinkers. And if we have a bunch of bludgeoners, we will, you know, we want more surge triggers. So I guess that's why I ended up taking that. I, I, I will admit I'm probably too low on steam blast. I hardly ever put that in my deck. Um, I just, yeah, I cards like that where that are, have a condition on them i just uh i don't know i i never trust my trust my luck it's if you like again if you think of it as like a removal spell like if you think of it kind of like provoke the dragons with upside it it suddenly feels so much better um because having like in in most typical games of limited and this might be less true in huru be, because it the, you're you have so many tricks like in your deck that maybe like but it's it's pretty unusual in a game of limited to not have one or two creatures on like units on the board and again if you're putting steam blast in your deck with just thinking of it as something that can usually deal with another two drop or finish off a creature um but with upside so that's kind of how i view it is you know when i take when i have the opportunity to use it early like i think some people i i wouldn't be surprised if people hold it in their hand like way longer than they should like oh i only have to get up to like seven creatures and i can deal with this where i'm just i'm much more likely to just be like oh i want to use all my power this turn like on turn four play my valley clan sage that's like my second or third creature steam blast year two or three drop like go you know so that's kind of how i view it um is something that i'm trying to play when i have 
you know, to, to take care of a, a two or three power unit on the other side of the battlefield. Um, and again, it's the kind of card, though, that when the game goes long, it, it, it really can just be that um, take care of whatever. Yes. Um, yeah, no, I, I definitely could can see it now. And and this is one of those picks where it's interesting because both of these cards might not make the deck, and so you really just got to think of the card that is more likely to make your deck. Um, all yeah. right, and then we'll just do a couple more. Uh, this next one, same problem. Uh, there's a Corrosive Dagger, an Eager Deputy in Fire. There's a Midnight Hunt in Shadow in Time. There's an Ancient Machinist and a Monk Innervator. No Primal cards. And then there's a Noble Protector in Justice. So I took the Noble Protector because uh, why not? Um, already leaning into taking bad Justice cards just because I'm in Justice. Might as well continue on that road um but do you see any plays and stuff so i would hope not to play the noble protector but yep do what you gotta do and then this is kind of what i was talking about earlier like wtf so now this is pick eight (laughs) in this pack two pick eight here are the cards in contention there's a siphoner paladin a valley clan sage a hardy warrior and a spellbound urzine so primal is open. All right. Primal's open. Justice is open. Justice and primal have not been open for the last three picks. I don't like, and then we're not going to review them, but then from here on out, justice and primal were totally open for the rest of pack two and pack three. So like when you say that there were, that primal wasn't open at all, like I think that you're, kind of shaded by your evaluation of steam blast because like i don't see primal being way open when there's still a steam blast here like it didn't look like primal was completely cut to me so i'm not shocked to see this many cards i am shocked to see that siphoner paladin i just don't know how that happens (laughs) um but so i'm not shocked to see the primal cards it just seems like there were primal cards in these packs they're just like frostbite elemental cards i'm not really all that interested in um, but the Cypherner Paladin makes no sense to me. I don't. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> I can. Yeah. See the no. I. I mean, but I don't know. Like Spellbound Urzine is a pretty good card. I almost never play it. Oh really? I think that this person who's passing to us just isn't in Primal. Like they're just definitely not. Yeah. Well, they're obviously not in Justice either. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. Like, I guess, like, if in a world where this pack had, like, say the person two seats down or the person passing to them wasn't in justice and passed them a pack with, like, a greenstone officer and a siphoner paladin or, like, an unbreakable tradition and a siphoner paladin, like, I guess I could see somebody having to make that hard choice, like, getting past two justice cards. It, it seems incorrect to me, like, <laughs> but I guess I could see it. Um, one of the more frustrating things when I honestly, when I when I try to read signals or or think about and write about Eternal Draft is that I don't know how these like bot drafts and then human drafts like intermingle or are we completely done with the bot drafts now? Like, I don't really know, like. I could see how this happens in a human draft. That's totally fine. Um, 
but I don't I don't fully grasp how the asynchronous drafting and bot packs and all that stuff works. So I think that'll close us out here. I did take the Siphoner Paladin here. I ended up with three Siphoner Paladins in the deck and ended up in a, a pretty, I think, solid-looking Huru deck. Um, I did get an, a third display of honor, uh, which is maybe ambitious. Um, did you get fixing? Uh, I ended up with, as far as fixing goes, a Seek Power, a Barrel Through, the Huru Vow, and two tokens of tradition. So I'm, I'm still think... kind of playing with my final cut or two in the deck, but I, I will post a, a link to... Uh, well, I guess you could just join the Discord. I did post it in the deck list for discussion. So uh, you can find it there. Um, but yeah, I think uh, in classic Farming Eternal fashion, we will not do a second draft uh, because we always talk way more than... <laughs> than anyone has any right to about draft picks. And uh, we'll, if you're we'll end our show a there. But, um, but thank you so much for coming on, Shab. We I really appreciate it. Oh, this was awesome. Um, I love doing draft reviews. I, it, but I listen back to the, the episodes that I've been on. Um, like you would wouldn't even know that I played the current formats because I just had like nothing to say about them. I was really, um, it, it wasn't my favorite. So I did speak very broadly about drafts. So I'm pumped to have a another set where there there's certainly a lot for us to dive into, and and I'm really like excited to talk about draft choices, um, and they feel really meaningful. So yeah, I'm glad to be on and and feel like I'm able to talk about the current set this was this was a lot of fun thanks uh thanks again for having me on yeah no it was really awesome and we'll probably do another couple uh draft reviews on the podcast for the next couple weeks as we still try to figure out when this format's ending or when the new format's coming out and stuff like that and uh you know sort of doing these draft reviews is a, a fan favorite and i like to do them too so Maybe we'll have you on again soon. So uh, yeah. that so that will be the end of our show here. Uh, thanks again to all our patrons for supporting us each and every month. Um, you really help make this show a success. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. You can join us in our Discord. Uh, there will be a link in the show notes. You know, start up some conversations. There's a bunch of people in there who are always happy to talk about draft. Um, and then finally, thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts. And don't forget to send in all your seven win deck lists you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Have a good night. See you in the queue. See you in the Discord. <laughs>